This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue, and we have plenty to get to here on our latest episode. If you missed our first episode of this week, the first week of April, we had Brandon Short on the program, an All-American linebacker with the Nittany Lions uh, back in 1999, now a member of the Board of Trustees for the university. He went in-depth on the obstacles, the opportunities in an evolving college athletics landscape that Penn State is facing right now, some of the infighting happening that we've seen spill out into the public situation, uh, all that addressed by Brandon Short on the last episode. So check that one out. Uh, it went live on Tuesday night, uh, so check that out. But right now on a Thursday morning, we shift gears toward the latest piece of news coming from the Nittany Lions football program. That's the addition of transfer running back Trey Potts, a Big Ten veteran, spent the last four seasons with Minnesota. We saw him here in Happy Valley running the ball uh, against the Nittany Lions last October. He'll be joining the group, and obviously it's an interesting running back situation this spring that we've covered quite a bit with Nick Singleton, uh, the 2022 Big Ten Freshman of the Year, and Katron Allen, who was a phenomenal freshman in his own right, back on board. But those are the only two scholarships involved right now in the running back room until the summer when you're getting uh, Cam Wallace up from Georgia, London Montgomery here, an in-state prospect. But let's remember, Montgomery missed his entire senior season with a knee injury. Potts now entering the equation, set to make his practice debut in August. We're not going to wait until then to start talking about his addition and the impact, though. We bring in Ryan Burns right now, who covers the Minnesota Golden Gophers for 24-7 Sports. You've seen him here on the podcast leading up to some of those Minnesota matchups in recent years. And, hey, it's the current reality of college football. We're going to see the interconference uh the, the, the transfer is something that we never saw was even possible where a guy could go from one conference team to another and play that upcoming season. But that's going to be the case for Trey Potts. And let's begin here. What was your initial reaction to this move for Potts? Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, I'll be honest, uh, because when you look at some of the circumstances about why Trey Potts left Minnesota, uh, I think it was multifaceted. I would say his running back coach for the entire time here at the University of Minnesota was a guy by the name of Kenny Burns. Kenny Burns is now the head coach at Kent State University in the MAC. So I was kind of expecting to see him potentially go there to get guaranteed carries. But I think when the opportunity came along for a Pennsylvania kid to go to Penn State, I think that's something to even where Trey Potts even can't pass it up. Because one of the other circumstances about him leaving was this is a, a running back room that does lose one of the best running backs in the history of the program and Muhammad Ibrahim. And there's carries up for grabs. But it sounds like the staff here was honest with him and saying I, they didn't think that he was going to be a 20-plus carry-a-game guy here, and I think that also played into his decision. So it's it was a little surprising to me, but honestly, to hear you kind of describe the situation that's going on in the, in the running back room in Happy Valley, it makes a lot of sense to me where he gets to go home, which I think is the most important thing for Trey, is I remember covering him coming out of high school. He had knee injuries, and Penn State – was one that he wanted to be an opportunity. And, and I don't think there was a committable offer when he ended up signing with Minnesota. And that's where now he gets to put his name back into the portal. Now he gets to play a lot closer to home. He gets to provide depth for a running back room that's obviously very talented. But for him, I think that, that going home makes a lot of sense. Yeah, this goes back to that 2019 recruiting class that saw Penn State pick up a couple top 24-7 running back recruits. One was Noah Kane, uh, left the program uh, following the, the Outback Bowl in 2021. And then a Devin Ford, who stepped aside from the roster during this past 2022 season. They were both top-tier running back recruits. And as you just mentioned, Potts dealing with some of those injuries late in his high school career. Still put together a, a phenomenal stat sheet uh, at Williamsport Area High School. 3,500 rushing yards, about 10 per carry, 60 yeah. touchdowns, despite missing much of the action as an upperclassman. But 
Penn State wasn't an opportunity coming out of high school. He commits to Minnesota, ends up in the Big Ten. That offer list had some other notable regional options like Rutgers, Syracuse. There was some Ivy League involvement in there as well. But let's go to his journey in Minneapolis because he gets to campus. He has kind of that traditional red shirt year where you don't see much of him. Um, can you talk about the, the early growth and what the early feedback was on Trey Potts before he stepped up and became a, a consistent contributor for Minnesota? Yeah, I mean, that's where it's going to be. It starts in that 2021 season where Minnesota sees Muhammad Ibrahim go down in that opening game against Ohio State. He's tearing him up through three quarters, and he ends up popping his Achilles, and then Trey Potts has to be thrust onto the scene. So that's where it's going to be. You see those next kind of three, four games where he gets 25, 30 carries a game, and he actually looks really good doing it. Um, and then it comes into that Purdue game where there's still a lot of – ambiguity about the situation but here's the best way I could probably describe it is he's having a pretty good game against a Purdue run defense that seemingly always gives Minnesota fits it's the fourth quarter and it's a monsoon I'm there at the game in West Lafayette and he has a non you know he has a carry going to the the far sidelines and he goes down he gets up and then he motions for somebody to come back on to take his spot and then he is just surrounded uh, by trainers and you're like okay so Minnesota ends up winning the game and then we're sitting you know we're in West Lafayette waiting for I think PJ Fleck and we see Trey Potts get into an ambulance and we're like oh boy and then it comes out that Trey Potts I believe spends the next four nights in the hospital with there's a lot of ambiguity about the situation uh, Trey Potts has not spoken to the Minnesota media since that game um, but the best way I can describe it is a non-traditional foot, a football injury, and it's an upper body injury, um, something that shouldn't inhibit him, as far as I understand it, from playing the game of football right now. But the, the thing for him is I had heard for the rest of that 2021 season, there was a lot of doubt that he was ever going to be cleared to play football again. He ends up getting uh, cleared to play football, and then he gets here into the 2022 season where ends up getting 100 carries, nearly 500 yards on the ground, um, you know, and that's where you kind of look at his season last year. Yeah, it's it's tough for running back in my mind. And again, from what I've been told, never played the running back position at a high level to kind of have the role that he did last year where he was just spelling Mohammed Ibrahim. So when he did get carries, it felt like at times he was pressing. Uh, I think a lot of Minnesota fans would tell you that their last, and unfortunately, again, it's you know, the Purdue game for them, one year removed from him uh, for him, that 2022 game where Mo misses the game and, and Trey has, I think, nearly 9, 10 carries, doesn't force a missed tackle. No Minnesota running back forces a missed tackle the entire game and Minnesota loses. So and that's where it's going to be interesting for me because he did get better the rest of the season. But there were certainly spots throughout that season where you would see Trey Potts potentially bounce a carry and you would see Fleck irate on the sidelines, and he would pull him, and we would never see Trey Potts again for the rest of that game. I think that happened in the Wisconsin game at the end of the season. So for Trey, there have been flashes, but it's going to be can he get back to that 2021 uh, type of season that he had where he was really good outside the tackles. Now, Minnesota's a base inside zone, outside zone team, but if you look at the PFF statistics for Trey Potts, over half of his carries were in gap scheme where Minnesota's trying to get him outside of the tackles. They're trying to get him BC and D gap, get him in space because that's where Trey Potts wins. When Trey Potts can get you in space, that's where he's going to uh, hopefully win. And now he's not a guy with deep speed. Um, I wouldn't say that. I think his longest career carry here was about 50 yards. So there were opportunities for him to potentially house it, but that's not his game. But for him, it's, get him the ball in the swing game, the screen game, outside the tackles. And if Penn State is able to do that, I think Trey Potts can be a successful big-time running back 100%. You mentioned that that sample size that we saw in 2021 when Ibrahim goes down with that injury during a fantastic performance against Ohio State. Uh, six, uh, six touchdowns, 552 yards in only five games during that season in 2021 for Potts. He comes back this past season, as you said, almost 500 yards, three touchdowns on 101 carries. And I guess, I mean, look, you're a running back. You know the situation. Ibrahim is going to get a bunch of carries in front of you. How would you kind of, I guess, categorize the way you saw Potts handle that kind of role? The guy who's going to be coming in, maybe with a cold hand into the game. You're not quite mm -hmm. sure when those opportunities are going to come. For instance, against Penn State, he had five carries for seven yards. 
Ibrahim had 30 carries for 102 yards. So what, what's your thought there? Because I'd imagine it's going to be very much this, a similar approach here with Penn State. I can't imagine Jaywan Sider disrupting what he has going on with Singleton and Allen in a significant way uh, to get Potts involved in the game plan. Certainly think he'll be a part of it. But to yeah. me, on the surface, this is more of a wrinkle than it is kind of blowing up the running back plan. Yeah, and that's where if again I don't pretend to to be an elite Penn State mind, but I think you <laughs> laid it out on the table pretty well. Where I think Potts is well aware that he's going to be the third running back in this room for the for this year for next year, and, and he's okay with that because he's able to go home. And that's where it is very tough for him, or for, I think for any running back to come in and have a cold hand because when you do get your five to eight carries a game, you want to make the most of them. So maybe you're pressing a little bit. And so that's where we did see him in that kind of relegation role at times last year. I think he did the best in terms of what you can do for being a cold running back. So you come in fourth series of the game in the second quarter to spell. I mean, you. I think maybe if he learned anything from this past season, it's he doesn't need to press. He can just let Trey Potts be Trey Potts, and Trey Potts doesn't have to be Mohamed Ibrahim in that instance. And so that's where it's going to be. I mean, we've seen that sample size in 2021. Or when he was the feature back, he forced 21 missed tackles in those four games. I mean, that's really tough to do. I mean, that's very encouraging, obviously. But there were points last season where Minnesota just went, I, we know what Trey Potts can do, but we obviously want to give it to Mo. Now, I would argue that's a pretty good decision considering he's, again, one of the greatest running backs to ever don the uniform here. I think was number one or number two in the country in yards after contact. But I think for him, it's if one of the two running backs in front of him goes down or if Penn State wants to use him in kind of a scat back role, that makes a ton of sense to me. Again, we've seen the flashes here at Minnesota where it's like Trey Potts can be a guy who gets 15 to 18 carries a game and be really successful at that. Get him in space, let him do his thing. That's where he's going to succeed. But if they're just going to run him between the, you know, run him between the tackles, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And that's why Minnesota kind of deployed him the way that they did. But We've seen the flashes from Trey Potts in 2021. He seemingly was trying to find his footing at times last year because we didn't see him get a ton of consistent carries uh, throughout the Big Ten season last year, but I cannot stress it enough. The opportunity for him to go home is the big selling point here. To provide depth, I think that's something he's totally okay with, uh, to go back home to Penn State and go back home to Pennsylvania, but if his number is called upon, I think he can be a very, I mean, if he's your third running back in the room, I think you have a pretty good running back room ahead of you. Yeah, we think they have a pretty good running back room, too. And, and before we let you go, look, Minnesota's not on the schedule for Penn State this year, but you're always keeping an eye, and these two teams have met in recently. You've talked about it. There's been some staff changes. I'll throw in Kirk Shiraka heading to Rutgers. Mm Ibrahim -hmm. um, uh, uh, has moved on. Tanner Morgan era is over, like the Sean Clifford era is over here. Can you give us a quick two-minute summary of, of, of where the Minnesota Golden Gophers program is? And at running back, I think where a lot of us are curious what the solution is going to be there for them. Yeah, it's going to be year seven already of the P.J. Fleck era here at Minnesota. They've won nine games in 2019, 2021, 2022. So, I mean, there's a lot of fans that have that asterisk maybe next to it because all of that came with no Big Ten West titles, which it's incredible to say because they've been very close the three of the last four years to a West title, and then they just haven't been able to get it done. But to your point, they've got a brand new offensive coordinators in and Greg Harbo and Matt Simon, two guys who worked underneath Kirk Shiraka. They've still got one of the best defenses outside of that Penn State game in the country. Uh, and Joe Rossi, who ended up having this as the number two third down defense in the country, top 10 in total yards allowed, uh, total points allowed. It was just that whiteout game where they laid the egg, which is obviously unfortunate. But that's where you look at the running back room. Minnesota brought in a transfer of their own and Sean Tyler from Western Michigan who was all Mac the last two years, a 1,000-yard rusher. I've seen him a couple times here in the spring. He's one of the most uh, explosive running backs that they have. I've covered here. He's very, very fast. Um, not a guy that's going to get a ton of carries. They're also excited about a couple of young freshmen in Zach Evans and Darius Taylor. Darius Taylor, they were able to get out of the state of Michigan with the Wolverines, trying to flip him all the day, all the way up until National Signing Day. Plus, they've got an experience back there in Bryce Williams, who – was the third down back for them last year. So that's where 
how did it all work last year? Mo would be your feature back. Trey Potts would spell him if you needed a few carries or a series off, and then Bryce Williams would come in on third down. So it's going to look very, very different because the two guys who had double-digit carries or triple-digit carries last season and Ibrahim and Potts are now gone, plus you have an offensive coordinator change. I think this offense is going to look very different uh, in year seven here for P.J. Fleck. They're going to throw the ball, in my mind, as often as we've seen a Minnesota offense do, which is what they should because that's where they're that's where their skill is, is their pass catchers are as good as I've seen in the seven years that Fleck has been here. And they've got as talented of a running back in Ethan Kaliak Manis, who got his first career start in a wideout game in Happy Valley. So there's a lot of optimism about Ethan. There's a there's optimism about this offense, but it's going to be, is this the year with Ohio State and Michigan on the schedule that Minnesota can get over the hump? Yeah, Ohio State, Michigan, always on the schedule here. Not, it's a daunting task, and yeah. uh, and we'll we'll look forward to your coverage over with the uh, Minnesota at twenty four seven Sports. Thanks so much, Ryan, for some perspective on the pots pickup, and and we appreciate that. Thanks, Tyler. We'll be right back on the Lions twenty four seven podcast. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League twenty four seven. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new twenty four hour streaming channel serving nonstop goals highlights and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Uh, let's shift gears to the current Penn State roster. Spring ball is well underway, and it's nearly complete. Next Saturday is the blue-white game back in Beaver Stadium. We're excited for that opportunity to see some scrimmage action, uh, reverting back more to that familiar form now that they have better numbers on the offensive line compared to last season. So a big chance for younger players to step into that spotlight. There are a bunch of them to know, and we'll start to work our way through those positions in a moment. But focusing on this transfer class for Penn State, Four guys already on board, two incoming this summer, and Daniel Gallen hops in now. We're going to be joined by Mark Brennan in a moment, but Daniel and I were on the practice field together on Tuesday night. We had our notes, and we've had a bunch of updates from this week over for our VIP subscribers at lines247.com. This Thursday show gives us a chance to kind of gather some of that stuff, and as I said, we'll do that with Mark in a moment, but we just discussed Trey, Trey Potts for the last 15 minutes or so uh, with uh, with Ryan there, Daniel. And, and clearly this is a, a spot where we said maybe it's a luxury if you can get it. Uh, but right now, Penn State seems to be in the luxury. Uh, th that's what they're looking for. I mean, they're looking for maybe another pickup at the defensive tackle position after spring ball to, to kind of fortify things there. Now they fortify the, the running back depth chart. This is a Big Ten championship quality roster in my opinion i think the depth chart reflects that and now you're starting to see penn state pluck these other pieces that really give you a solidified feel about this roster yeah i mean anytime you're at at this point of the year and you're thinking about roster needs and number three running back is one of the ones that's at the top of the list um i think you're in a, a pretty good spot and i think that that pots pick up i think that a lot of people that follow the program pretty closely know how important it is. And I think that when you look at how last year finished with Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, you know, being able to carry the load uh, for much of the season uh, with, with all the, the departures and, and the injury to Kevon Lee, you know, I think that people knew that it's going to be hard to do that again, um, or that's a situation that you don't necessarily want to be in. So I think that Penn state really addressed a need right now and, when you look at the roster, I think that the things that come to mind are, okay, Dante Cephas will be here uh, in, a, I guess, a couple weeks, couple months. Uh, that'll make the wide receiver room look a little bit different. Uh, and then from there, yeah, I think that defensive tackle is, is maybe the one that stands out to a lot of people. But I think James Franklin has said they're not going to add size just to add size. And as we've covered, there's not a lot of those guys uh, walking around right now. You know, it's if someone, you know, 
is a big 10 quality starter at defensive tackle who's 6'4, 320 pounds. Uh, they're probably not in the portal. Uh, they're, they're probably not on the market right now. And we'll see there's going to be that secondary wave of transfer portal names. It's a shorter window than, than what we saw post regular season in December, but it's coming our way very soon. You'll see some movement, I'd imagine. Leaving the Penn State roster, like we see after the conclusion of spring practices, but uh, per perhaps more movement uh, of bringing in talent. Uh, let's look at this transfer portal class now, as we also include Mark Brennan in the conversation here. Um, look, we, we just talked about Potts and that pickup, but a couple of guys already on campus in, in, in key position rooms at cornerback Storm Duck, a former all conference player with North Carolina, a guy who a lot of people think would be preparing for the NFL draft right now, had it not been for some of the injuries he dealt with as a Tar Heel. And then Malik McLean in year three at the college level. Big bodied wide receiver. His physical frame, frame certainly stands out. Still working to gain comfort uh, in this new offensive scheme on a new campus, but physically a lot of pieces to like in place with him. And then from a specialist perspective, Daniel, Riley Thompson, Alex Falcons, uh, Thompson coming from Florida Atlantic on a scholarship. Falcons, a walk on after a, a record setting career with a Columbia program as a place kicker. And each of those guys, as you discussed with Stacey Collins this week, a special teams coordinator with Penn State, um, you documented this in the notes, competition across the board in the specialist room. Definitely. I think that in terms of under the radar storylines, I think that the specialist group is one of them. You're replacing three starters uh, from that group last year and Crystal, Barney Amore and Jake Pinnaker. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, you know, Stacey Collins brought this up. Crystal won the Manley Award as the nation's best long snapper. Uh, Barney Amore, I think, was better than any of us would have expected him to be. Uh, and you know he has potentially played his way into having a shot uh, at a roster spot in the NFL. So it's a talented group that you have to replace. And the theme for Stacey Collins when we were talking to him was competition. When we were out there at practice on Tuesday night, we saw Alex Falcons working with that first uh, field goal group. Uh, Stacey Collins said that Falcons and Sanders to are rotating with the ones and twos. Uh, you know, on a daily basis. And he said that both have been, you know, very consistent, which is what he's looking for. Um, and then Riley Thompson, uh, the FAU transfer is competing with Alex Paquetta, um, you know, for that punting job. Uh, Gabe, Gabe Bosu and Mitchell Grow are also factor in there, uh, which Stacey Collins brought up. Uh, and it does sound like Wosu uh, is the leader for the, the field goal jobs or the, the kickoff job. Kickoff, yep. kickoff specialist. Yeah, we, we talked about this, I think, last year in terms of really the narrow roles that James Franklin and Stacey Collins give some of these guys. You know, I think that we talked about it a little bit with, you know, sometimes Sahadak would do the kickoffs uh, if they wanted to, you know, potentially give a different look with the left-footed kicker, um, you know, long field goal kicker, short field goal kicker. And Stacey Collins said that that's really what they're going to continue to do. Um, he said it helps when you have Jordan Stout and you can do everything, but they're really looking at how can they fit these guys into these very specific roles uh, that puts Penn, the Penn State special teams unit in the best position moving forward. And that was an area last year, kickoff specialist, where they got that they got that kind of ironed out by midseason. Jake Pinniger took the reins there, but Gabe Nuoso, who, who James Franklin declared last week as the favorite uh, at that position, uh, just a reminder: he's six foot six, two hundred and eighty pounds, uh, potentially kicking the ball off for this Penn State program. And let's bring in Mark Brennan now because it sounds like Gabe Nuoso could fit in that defensive line room just based on physical measurements alone. And James Franklin said it in practice on Tuesday. They're not hurting for numbers in that room. They've got some missing pieces right now. Guys working their way back from some injuries, bumps and bruises, as he likes to say. But went on the record Tuesday saying he feels like this could be the deepest defensive end group that they have had uh, in terms of guys who are playable, in terms of guys who are ready to make a major impact in game action. And he says that defensive tackle, acknowledging there are some more question marks there, has a lot of numbers in place, but they want to see as guys work their way back and some of these younger players emerge sounds like there's a foundation brewing there, but the guy in charge of all this, Mark, is Deion Barnes. And he was very emotional, I thought, and very um, forthright about those emotions. And you were with him the entire time Tuesday night. Uh, cool transition, going from a player at Penn State, a few years later returning as a graduate assistant, doing that for three years, getting to stay on for an analyst, and all of a sudden you're interviewing for your first ever college coaching position, and it's at your alma mater. And two weeks later, you're told you have the job. And one day later, it's time to start practice in spring ball. What was your kind of uh, experience like with Deion Barnes? You were asking a lot of those questions with him. 
Yeah, one quick thing uh, with, with regard to Trey Potts. I mean, isn't it an indication that there's always something cooking in the transfer portal? You know, it's like we kind of weren't even – I don't know that anybody's necessarily expecting that, but it's kind of what you have to be doing on the college football level anymore is, uh, you know, being grinding be grinding in that uh, in that portal. But, yeah, with regard to Dion, I mean, you know, here's a guy, and we've talked about this, that – represents so much positive about Penn State. I mean, he was recruited by the Joe Paterno staff. Uh, I've said this before, as much as everybody likes to talk about the seniors who stuck with the program through the sanctions, he was part of that freshman class, the Super 6 uh, group, you know, with Alan Robinson and Adrian Amos and that crew, uh, who stuck with the program through all of that. These were guys who could have left and gone anywhere. Uh, his NFL career, and it was pretty interesting that he, he talked about how his NFL career didn't last as long as he had hoped. You know, we, you look at the NFL now and, and guys who came in with him, Donovan Smith, Adrian Amos, uh, Robinson, you know, these guys are still in the league, still making a bunch of money. His career didn't quite pan out. I mean, Big Ten freshman of the year uh, way back when, and his his NFL career never really – became what a lot of people thought it might be. Uh, rather than mope about it, he got back to coaching at the high school level at Northeast High down in Philadelphia where he went to school and was able to parlay that into a GA job at Penn State. And for him to be able to get that job, you know, the thing that kind of stuck out to me, he said that his mom was near tears uh, when, when she heard that he got finally got the job. You, you, you can see what this, you could see, I mean, literally see in his eyes kind of what it meant to him. And then I, the other thing I liked, he said, his dad said, okay, well, now you got this. Mm-hmm. And you got to show why you got this. You got to keep working. You got to keep grinding. So a feel-good story. And listen, we've seen James Franklin. We know the process he goes through when he's hiring people. Has every hire been perfect? No. But he's very thorough. He has a long list. Uh, Dion Barnes said it was interesting because he interviewed immediately and then they brought yeah. in candidate after candidate after candidate <laughs> and that had to be tough for him, but he waited patiently and, uh, it, it ended up working out for him. So I love the fact that you're bringing in a young guy who has done a great job on the recruiting trail, who everybody in the room loves. And then the best part about it is he's surrounded by veteran coaches. Daniel mentioned this on a previous podcast. I mean, Manny Diaz, Terry Smith, uh, uh, Dex. I mean, you have you have these coaches who have been around a long time, and this kid is going to be like a sponge. And I say kid because he is still a kid. I mean, he's still south of 30, right? I mean, uh, or he's right in that area. So I, I think they got themselves a good coach. And the other thing that was pretty fun to see is when he was a player – He was very shy, very reserved with the media. And this wasn't the most comfortable thing for him to come out for his first press conference, but I thought he handled himself extremely well. And, you know, none of that speaks to the X's and O's and everything else. But I just think in in terms of first impressions, I thought he did a really nice job. And having seen him around the program the last few years, I think Penn State got themselves a good coach. One other thing that he said that I thought was pretty cool is he's he's remained engaged with John Scott Jr. Uh, you know, bounce as a sounding board as hey, uh, different ways to approach things on the practice field, and he's been able to maintain that relationship. Of course, John Scott, as we referenced recently, was back here on campus for pro day representing the the Detroit Lions now in the NFL. Uh, but also James Franklin has been an important sounding board for Deion Barnes. It's not just hey, I'm hiring you. Good luck. Go, uh, you know, go off and figure it out. This isn't foreign territory. I know that Ty Howell had experience at the college level as a position coach, as a coordinator even, but at 29 years old, he was given the reins to a tight end room that was pretty impressive in terms of talent in that group. A lot to like about this defensive line group, and I think James Franklin understands that You know, it, it's it, every coach in every room is going to be a different situation. Does Terry Smith need to be checked in on as much as, as uh, Deion Barnes will this season? I don't think so. Uh, but it sounds like there's really been a communal aspect to this because the timing's interesting when you hire a guy and you're getting right to work on the spring ball field. Uh, but I, th- I think it's been I think it's been a really strong move from the uh, from the aspect of this locker room's in a really good place. 
And I think it was enhanced by this decision based on everything we've heard from leaders, from the guys in that defensive line room. It wasn't a default hire. As you said, they interviewed Dion right away, and then he had to sit through two weeks of them talking to other players and, and waiting for stuff. And you can only imagine the anxiety that comes with that. But at the end of the day, they circled back to him. Manny Diaz circled back to him. James Franklin did. And now he's working with quite a room. And I think we should jump into that room a little bit right now because Zane Durant was one of the players that we had a chance to speak with on Tuesday. And James Franklin told us a bit before that that he has flashed on a consistent basis. He's added the weight. Uh, and, and Durant said a big part of that is he wants to up his game as a run defender. He feels like last year his best usage was as a third down pass rush specialist. Now he's up to 282 pounds. He was 275 out in Pasadena. He was 260 pounds when they announced him on National Signing Day as part of that 2022 class. And I know last year a lot of us were kind of sprinting toward the breakout happening. Didn't really need to happen because of what was ahead of him in the defensive line room. You didn't have to thrust him in that kind of role. But I'll tell you what, Daniel, it certainly feels right now that he's primed for takeoff. When We we, we have so many names in that 2022 class that we want to point to, and Abdul Carter and Nick Singleton and Katron Allen and Drew Aller, of course. And, and you go down the list with guys like K.J. Winston and Cam Miller who are working for their own breakout. Zane Durant, I feel like, could be a speeding train come September that people are like, oh, that's right. We heard all this great stuff about Zane Durant when he got to campus, and now look at where he is in year two. Yeah, I think that when you look at his trajectory a little bit, we we heard so much about him uh, last winter. I'm, I'm living in a construction zone right now, so there's a, <laughs> lot, of, a lot of background noise, but um, yeah, we heard so much about him when he got on the campus, and, but I think that you kind of knew that even with all of that buzz, when you actually got onto the field playing defensive tackle as a freshman in the Big Ten, there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment, and I think that, like you said, uh, you know, his best work seemed to be in some of those pass rush situations. We saw him as the as the nose tackle in that, or sometimes the only down lineman uh, in the Prowler package at times. But I think the fact that we're still hearing about him and that he is, you know, he's kind of returned to that offseason, um, you know, buzz. I think that that bodes really well. And especially the fact that it's happening in kind of a, a different way, where I feel like last year it was a lot of talk about those pass rushing skills, about that size, about that athleticism, that ability to get into the backfield. And now that it's with the running game, I think that he's becoming a lot more well-rounded. Um, there are going to be reps up for grabs uh, at that position on the interior. So I think that this is the, a good trajectory for you know, a young player who is playing a position that you know, takes some development. Uh, to really be able to contribute that and to really be able to play at a high level at. Uh, Durant was one of six defensive tackles last year who played at least 170 snaps on the season. The only guy they lost from that group was the the snap leader in P.J. Mustafer. He was approaching 500 snaps on the season. But you're back with Hakeem Beeman. You're back with Devon Ailes. You're back with Kozai Izzard. Now, Izzard is a guy who's been out of sight here during spring ball in, in terms of putting on the pads. Akeem Beeman uh, is someone that we didn't see this past Tuesday, but but a lot of excitement about what he's going to be able to do this year. But Jordan Vandenberg is another player that I think we shouldn't set aside, uh, a guy who, who came to campus in kind of a swift fashion from the JUCO level, Iowa Western Community College, uh, came to campus dazzled the staff with some of his testing numbers and all of a sudden he was here uh it was a very quick process and and, and all of a sudden he was popping up in, in a rotational role last year i'm curious about him uh we, we've heard that that he has he has you know been consistent this spring we've heard he's uh, taken advantage of, of a of more of a workload that's kind of what we're seeing happen um at the linebacker room as well which we'll get to but there's there's been a bigger workload for some guys in the defensive tackle room and just a couple other names to throw out there and, and i know daniel's mentioned this one before a few times like caleb artis um, as, as it may be that kind of a big body defensive tackle in the making, it might not be the answer in September 2023, but it might be coming down the pipeline. And then Davon Townley, um, according to Zane Durant, he's a guy who's really started to get it, what it takes to rush from the interior. That's a bit of a transitive process when you're spending your life on the edge or your football life on the edge, and all of a sudden you're asked to go inside as a defensive tackle. Sounds like those pieces are starting to come together. I'm still putting Davon Townley uh, more in the 2024 category and a guy that we need to watch. Uh, but, you know, depth pieces are great on the defensive line. You're going to want those. It's still an area we're watching with the transfer portal. But, Mark, I think when you start in the edge, like James Franklin did on Tuesday, Deion Barnes this has been his expertise in a lot of ways. Guys, getting them to fly off the edge, get after the quarterback, put that pressure on. He's got all those pieces. Chop Robinson, the buzz is sky high there. It remains intact. 
Adiza Isaac sounds like everything the way he finished last season has carried over into 2023. And then denied Dennis Sutton, apparently spending more time in the weight room than just about everybody except maybe Tony Rojas. Yeah, one other guy, Ty Blanding. I mean, uh, at defensive tackle, I wanted to throw that in because they're very high on him. He's obviously not here yet. But yet, when James Franklin says they're as deep as they've been and as talented as they've been at defensive end, that's really saying something when you think about some of the players that they've had go through this program, yeah. you know, during his tenure. Uh, and I mean, listen, you, you're not you're not even throwing in a guy like Smith Vilbert, who I think everybody's kind of forgotten about. Uh, so we'll we'll see where he. Zariah has- Fisher. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, that's I mean, the thing. You can keep going down this list, and you can work yourself a three or four deep. And the key is, well, uh, some guys are going to need to play a lot of football, and not everybody's going to get to play a bunch. Right, but then and then let's go back to that Prowler package that Daniel's talking about and some of the things they were able to do with all of those different players, putting them at different spots. And then you start mixing and matching mm-hmm. those defensive tackles. You know, a guy like Zane Durant or a guy like Akeem Beeman, who are not the biggest guys, but who are super quick. And when you're talking about the Prowler package, you're talking about bringing pressure from everywhere and lining up linebackers in different spots and bringing safeties and corners and and all that stuff. And that's what makes it really fun. And that's where let's go back to Dion Barnes and, you know, being able to learn under a guy like Manny Diaz, who has all these creative looks uh, is just, you know, just a really cool thing. But I think when you look at defensive end, I mean, yes, they're very deep, but I think you look at that big three of, uh, of, of, uh, Excuse me, a sudden shot. Chop. Yeah, and obviously Adisa Isaac. You know, however they're going to work those three, uh, and then if Smith Vilbert ends up being what he was for that one bowl game, uh, again, you know, then you're even adding more. And then you mentioned the Fishers and other the other people, but it just gives them so many different options, and it allows them to be fresh. And when we saw some of those great Penn State defensive lines uh, in the early 2000s or the mid-2000s, I'm sorry. The early 2000s weren't really a great time for Penn State defensive line and Penn State football. But those mid to late 2000s, you know, with the Aaron Mabins and and all those guys that they were kind of rolling through there, that was one of the real keys is having that depth. You know, you talk about uh, P.J. Mustafer approaching, what was it, 500 snaps or whatever it was, and then you compare that to what Jair Brown played and it was far more numbers, I would assume, for Jair Brown. And the key is these guys are so big, and they're pounding on these these offensive linemen. And to be able to rotate through is just a, a really big thing. Yeah, Jair Brown had a uh, 680 snaps last season, right right in that range. Uh, what was defensive PJ? players. Uh, PJ was right around uh, 470 last season. Yeah. Um, so and him and the key ends, it'll be less even. Yeah, and, and there was a separation, just to go back to what I said. You, you may feel like you can play six guys, but the way that you're going to kind of skew those snaps is the really curious part because you had Beeman and Mustafer go over 400 snaps last season. No one else really came close to 300 snaps. A lot of guys landed between like 170 and one and, and, and 280 or so. So uh, we'll see what happens at defense. There's just so many names to work off of here, and, and there's tremendous competition, and there's some fresh eyeballs there. Now you've got Torrance Brown as a GA, a guy who played here as well. Um, so moving parts there, but a lot of familiarity. Devon Illies seems to be making those strides as a leader. Uh, P.J. Mustafer, that presence being lost is huge for this entire locker room. But you think about what he meant to the defensive line room. Uh, we hear that Illies, uh, we hear that Adiza Isaac and Akeem Beeman uh, are stepping up in that regard uh, as far as leadership goes. And, and although he has been absent from spring ball workout, which isn't a surprise because James Franklin alluded to it at his press conference back in March that we wouldn't probably see much of Kozai Izzard as he works his way back from some of those bumps and bruises. But he was really impressive last year, I thought, as the season went on. Remember, he was gone, uh, not not part of the game plan for all of September, much like Smith Vilbert working with the scout team, didn't get to see him in game action. That changed in October. He ended up finishing second among all defensive tackles in uh, four tackles for loss. He led the group in sacks on the season, despite missing the first month of the year. And I know he's missing time now, but I think Kazai Izzard is being slept on a little bit right now in time in terms of the impact he has already made in a Penn State uniform and maybe where he can go from here. All right, we've, we've teased it enough, I think, without getting a quarterback. We've talked about other positions, but Drew Aller is the name to know nationally when you talk about Penn State football and what they might be able to achieve next fall. Uh, Drew Aller, you were on those notes, uh, uh, Daniel Gallon, uh, lines247.com. There were plenty of them. 
him and Bo Prabula engaged in this competition, talking about that, saying all the right things. When is the competition going to be over? James Franklin says when it's clear who the starting quarterback is. So uh, stay tuned. This isn't something I, I think we're going to get a resolution on uh, minutes after the blue-white uh, game. I think there's a chance that we're going into August and still talking about a quarterback competition, even if all of us kind of know where this thing's going to land in West, uh, when West Virginia comes to town. Yeah, definitely. I think that this was kind of the this is the first time we've had Haller in in this type of environment. Um, all the other times he's been spoken, he's spoken with us have been in kind of, you know, sit down type environments like before the Rose Bowl uh, and in February when we had that second year player availability. So this is, you know, Aller fresh off the practice field, um, you know, still in his gear talking to us, which we haven't had before. And, you know, it's really interesting to hear him talk because, he is just, you know, very sure of himself. Um, he made a he made a, a quip about being a 19 year old uh, in a room that has some 22 and or on a team that has some 22 and 23 year olds uh, with her in regards to a question about leadership. But, you know, he doesn't sound like a 19 year old uh, when it comes to how he talks, his speech patterns and just kind of his his composure um, and, you know, how thoughtful he is with, <laughs> with a lot of the questions that he gets. So, you know, he. I think that he looks the part of the number one quarterback. You know, when we watch him in practice, he sounds the part of the number one quarterback when you know he's talking with us. Um, and <clears throat> by all accounts, behind closed doors, it it sounds like that that is, is continuing a, a pace there. Um, it was interesting to talk to Kalen King uh, about Drew Aller and, and going up against him in, in practice. And he said that Aller is a ball placement expert, that you know, when Kalen King is going against the wide receiver, when Aller is at quarterback, you know, Aller is probably going to be able to put the ball where only the wide receiver can get it. Um, Omari Evans said the same thing yesterday that, you know, when he's going with, when he's doing a rep with Aller that, you know, he knows that it's either going to be him or nobody uh, getting the ball. Um, and, you know, Evans also said that, you know, Allard's arm strength is just, you know, pretty, pretty off the charts. And he said that there's a, you know, a pretty big that you can tell the difference, you know, when it's Aller and, and Prevula uh, throwing the ball to him. So, you know, I think that Drew Aller seems pretty comfortable. You know, the leadership piece has been, you know, a very, very uh, exhaustive topic of conversation this offseason. Um, and it does seem like that. Aller is one of those guys who is, you know, having to exit his comfort zone a little bit to be a little bit more vocal um, while still trying to lead by example and set a tone that way. And I think from what we've heard, I, I think that that's what's happening uh, for Penn State. So, you know, I, I think that James Franklin will probably, you know, not drag this out, but I think he'll let it linger out there uh, in terms of a competition uh, into August. Who knows how far into August? Um, but I think that, you know, I think both of these quarterbacks have all said the right things, done the right things. And it seems behind the scenes that the work is that they've put in is really becoming apparent uh, on the practice field. The last time James Franklin had a new quarterback to name, uh, Tommy Stevens left uh, after spring ball. It left uh, year three, Sean Clifford, year two, Will Levis uh, through the summer. And we ultimately found out that Sean Clifford was the guy uh, in mid-August as, as preseason camp was starting to near a conclusion. Um, of course, this is very different than a year three Sean Clifford. This is year two with the number one quarterback recruit in the country that a lot of people are clinging Penn State's higher ceiling to here in 2023 and moving forward. And a few yards away from him, while he was chatting with media, I had a chance to catch up with Bo Prabula. Um, obviously, he wants the job, too, and he thinks he could be pretty darn good in a Penn State uniform at the quarterback position. Just some facts on, on Bo Prabula. Uh, now, he's now up to six foot two, 208 pounds. Last season, he was sub-200. I think he was right around 197, 198. Um, with that weight, feels like he's still as fast as he's been in his life. Um, and, and what we've heard about Bo Prabula, what we know about Bo Prabula, is he's go on the gas pedal day in, day out. Um, I think there's some parallels to draw between his personality and Sean Clifford's personality. He acknowledged that there's a bit of a chip on the shoulder. He says he's carried since youth football. Anyone who's come in contact with Sean Clifford interviewed Sean Clifford. You're going to know that, that the chip on his shoulder has been important to his journey as well. Uh, but what maybe separates uh, Parbula here a little bit is in, in this conversation, when you measure him and Aller, and it's been addressed by the coaching staff is the athleticism is really difficult to ignore. You know, he's, he's got the fastest shuttle time 
on record for Penn State going back to 2012 with this big board in their weight room, 411 in the shuttle. Um, he's out of these 10 pounds. He's a guy whose footwork has really cleaned up in the pocket, but it's what he can do beyond the pocket. I know he we, we, he wants, wants to talk about himself as a passer. Mike Gersh has been very complimentary, but Bo Prevula was considered a kind of a multi-positional power five level athlete at the high school level. And he showed what he could do at, at, at quarterback, two really impressive playoff runs with Central York. But what we've heard from James Franklin, what we've heard from Mike Yersich, I, I, you know, it's it takes me back to 2018. It takes me back to Tommy Stevens. It's certainly getting it out there for opposing defensive coordinators uh, about potentially using Prabula in a different role. And he says he is open to doing whatever it takes to help this team. Mark, I think we're going to see Bo Prabula on the field in some interesting ways early this year. I, 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 maybe they wait until getting get the Big Ten play to break out some packages and, and, and kind of spring that loose. I think Tommy Stevens, when we saw him really come into play, it was against maybe Ohio State in October of that or late September of that 2018 season. But to me, Bo Perbula is going to be a factor for this offense this year. I don't think he's going to be your starting quarterback unless something happens to Drew but he is going to be a relevant part of this process in a way that, that maybe the backup quarterback hasn't been utilized in the last several seasons. Yeah. I think they learned their lesson a couple of years ago, right? I mean, when, when you go into Iowa and your starting quarterback gets hurt and you know, where do you go? I mean, even last year they were playing Aller, you know, relatively early in the season in blowouts, he was at least getting getting a, a snap here and there, or a couple snaps here and there. At least you know running out onto the field, and you know I I think we all realize where this quarterback thing is going. I mean you know you you don't have people you know talking about Drew Aller the way that they do. I mean he's going to be the guy, knock on wood, barring injury. But you have to have a backup quarterback ready. And again, we learned that two we learned that two years ago when Penn State didn't. And it really the entire season unraveled. So you want everybody to stay healthy, but the odds of that happening for an entire season, I mean, it's something could happen at any moment. So if you're going to get Bo Prevula ready, uh, why not try to utilize his athleticism kind of however you can do it? I just think it makes complete sense. And I think they learned their lesson from a couple of years ago. And I also think, you know, talking about these quarterbacks, the, the whole leadership thing, I know it's been kind of beaten to death, but it is really, really important because you look over on defense and I was just thinking about, you know, who Kalen King was there uh, the other day and clearly a vocal leader, right? I mean, this guy, you could ask him about anything and he's really in his com comfort zone talking. I mean, Curtis Jacobs, really in his comfort zone talking. Devon Ellis really in his comfort zone. You know, you can see where these are vocal guys. When you look at the offense, where is that going to come from? It's not coming from the running back room, and that's not a knock on the young running backs. They're just they're, they're just not those types of people. You look at the receiver room. Uh, you know, I just don't know. Maybe Keandre. Keandre I mean, Keandre's been a pretty across the board, the guy who has stepped up that we've heard on offense. But from a personality perspective, I mean, some of the other – I mean, if you just say these guys are good football players, they got to be leaders. Nick Singleton doesn't really match that personality right. profile. Katron, I mean, I, I don't want to say these guys can't be lead-by-example guys, and they have plenty of those, but we're talking about vocal, step-up, demonstrative That's, kind of leaders. Keandre yeah. Lambert-Smith fits that bill, but – Olu Fashnu doesn't necessarily fit that bill, and and we're still learning about these quarterbacks. Although it does sound like they've taken the necessary steps, and I and I think the, you're, to build off your point, these guys are taking their lumps again against what may be the Big Ten's best defense, one of the top defenses across college and football a this year. Great secondary. They have taken their lumps, and and they're learning from it, and it's important for them. When things get chaotic, when it's a bad day for the offense, and by the way, Tuesday was apparently the best day for the offense during spring ball, according to James Franklin, but you need to be able to look at your quarterback, whether it's Bo Perbula or Drew Aller, and say, okay, next play. Okay, next play. You can't be dwelling on it, and that's the learning curve. When you mentioned Drew Aller, yeah, he might be six foot five, 240 pounds, but he is 19 years old, and he's trying to command a an offense that features, what, 50 guys on that side of the football, and, and you need to respect from each one of those. So going to be fun to follow these guys progress uh, and 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 thus far what we're hearing about Jackson Smolik maybe makes you feel a little bit better uh, i mean we didn't think Jackson Smolik was going to come in here and not be the QB3 because you've got two walk in two walk on guys coming this summer and, and that's all that you have going on at quarterback beyond Perbula and Aller but hearing yeah but hearing the way that Franklin 
uh, and Yurcich have discussed uh, what Jackson Smoke has been able to accomplish thus far through through almost four weeks of spring football. They sound like they are developing or they feel like they'll be able to develop a viable third option at the quarterback position before that kickoff against West Virginia. Why it was so paramount to get him on campus in January, get the ball rolling in this development. And there's not a lot of places to hide on the practice field right now for a Penn State quarterback. There's only three of you. So there's a lot of opportunities right now. And it sounds like Jackson Smolik also taking his lumps, but also building and learning off of those experiences at quarterback. Uh, let's shift over to linebacker because we mentioned the hype train behind Zane Durant and, and it's long existed with Drew Aller. But right now, Tony Rojas is really difficult to ignore. It feels like every time in our practice notes, we're talking about wh what he's doing on the field, how he's looking. Last week, I noted that if he was still under 220 pounds, it was really going to be hard for me to wrap my head around that. Turns out he's not. James Franklin said he has added 29 pounds since January enrollment. Uh, Franklin kind of like said, I'm not sure how that's possible to be good weight, but it is. And we can confirm it's good weight. So that puts Tony Rojas at right about 225 pounds right now at six foot two. This is a guy who showed up to campus sub 200. I mean, Daniel, choo-choo, all aboard. That linebacker room has some impressive returners, but this guy's getting on the field and it's going to happen fast. I think the the one way that you can really see the uh, the impression that, that Tony Rojas has made is you know, when we're talking to Omari Evans on Wednesday, he's asked about which guys on the defensive side of the ball uh, have have impressed him. And the first guy he says is Tony Rojas. Um, you know, that's coming from a wide receiver um, who, you know, all these guys overlap in practice, but you know, from a wide receiver, you might think, okay, a cornerback, a safety, something like that. But he went right to Rojas and he said that it's just the way that Tony Rojas has come in and approached what he's done, uh, his work. Uh, and Kalen King has said, said something similar that he is someone that, you know, they're seeing, you know, come in early, stay late, you know, do the extra work that, that he needs uh, to be able to put himself uh, into this position. And so, you know, I think that there's there are going to be reps there. Uh, you know, it's still a, a deep linebacker room, but you know, we've seen over the past couple of years that you know they will rotate rotate through that too deep uh, over the course of a game. You know, Jonathan Sutherland, who began the years that Sam linebacker is gone, so I think that there will be an opportunity for Tony Rojas to, you know, to blow by that redshirt threshold, whether it's special teams, being a second teamer, some way there. I think that he is going to be one of the guys that really, you know, forces his way onto the field. Uh, Stacy Collins, who is the outside linebackers coach, uh, in addition to a special teams coordinator, uh, duties had some interesting insight uh, on him on, on Tuesday night and talking about the transition from, you know, playing, you know, closer to the line, um, in college and you know, or in high school, and now having to play a little bit more in space. Um, and he leaned on Tony Rojas's experience as a running back at Fairfax High School in, in Virginia. You know, Tony Rojas was the Washington Post's offensive player of the year for what he was able to do as a running back for Fairfax. I think over 2,000 yards, over 30 touchdowns, you know, unstoppable. But he said that that vision has translated over to the defensive side of the ball that Tony Rojas is able to, to see things a little bit differently, a little bit clearly. Uh, and that has also helped with his transition uh, to the college game. It sounds like the processing part of the, of the, I mean, the physical part is great, but it sounds like the way he's processing the game through his first eight, nine, 10 Penn state football practice on a college field has been the impressive part. I think Kalen King said he's flying around 20 miles an hour and, and that's in, it being incorporated on the practice field. Zane Durant actually said, uh, you know, there's just no hesitation. You know, he, he he's, he's attacking plays, he's making plays, and it's just not something you normally see. I asked, I asked Zane Durant, how rare is that to see an early enrolled freshman just take to the college game? when they're surrounded by guys who are 21, 22, have played a bunch of Big Ten football. And he said, well, for me, it's not so rare. I saw Abdul Carter do it last year as part of my freshman class. And, of course, Abdul Carter went on to become an All-American freshman. You've got Carter. Could make play some middle linebacker this year. We saw him at the Will last year. We've seen Tony Ross working at both the Will and the Sam. And, of course, we've got Curtis Jacobs, who has that positional versatility, whether it be the Sam or the Will position. Uh, Don DeLuca earned a scholarship last year and uh, another – Top 24-7 linebacker is going to be joining uh, Rojas and Tamir Robinson in this freshman class uh, the summer uh, when Kavion Keys comes to town. Uh, so a lot going on in that room, but it's really difficult to look away from Tony Rojas when you talk about early enrollee buzz to this point. 
get a chance to see him. So will you at the blue white game next Saturday, but really impressive early returns right now on a guy who has come a long way in a short period of time. Mark, I'm sorry to cut you off there. That's the last positional, uh, you know, Nugget I wanted to get to here. If you've got anything to empty from your notebook for the week, go for it. But uh, have at it, Mark. No, the Tony Rojas, the thing, and Tyler, you've seen this when, and, and I think you've seen it too, Daniel, but when we've been at practice, you know, the thing that has yes. stood out to me outside of his physical build is that the, the two alphas in that room, you know, are obviously Curtis Jacobs and Abdul Carter. And that's not a knock on anybody else, but you can tell who, who the guys are. But when they're going through drills – the number three guy every time seemingly fighting his way up that list. And that's not an official thing. This is, this is just how things kind of play out is Tony Rojas. He's like, no, I'm up here in this group. I'm going to be the number three to number four guy going through hitting the sled or going through the agility drill or whatever. And again, that's not a knock on anybody else, but I think, you know, you, it's all, it's all, it's typically Curtis Jacobs, who's the leader, and then Abdul Carter, who's obviously an alpha dog in that room. And then when you see Rojas stepping up in that regard, uh, I just think that's, you know, t- to me, that that's pretty interesting to see from a young guy. And I wanted to circle back just a little bit to the leadership, because I think when you look at the offense, one of the good things is, is that you have a couple, you have a few guys on that offensive line who I think really have the ability to step up as leaders. And one is Caden Wallace, Landon Tangwell, and Nick Dawkins, even though he's not played a lot. I think these three guys, I would look, if you're looking at offense of who's going to step up as those vocal leaders, I think those are three guys. Olu isn't going to be that guy. That's just, I mean, he's super intelligent, uh, you know, an awesome player, going to be maybe the first offensive tackle off the board in next year's draft but he's not that vocal guy. But when you're looking for the vocal leaders, as the quarterbacks are developing that, I think those are three of the guys. Now, is that great just to have, you don't necessarily have that everywhere else? You know, maybe not, but I do think to have it on the offensive line, when you're in that huddle and somebody needs to grab somebody and say something, I I think it's not bad coming from a big 300 pounder who's vocal, you know, knows how to express themselves in those situations. And again, people may not have heard a lot from Caden Wallace. You know, people may have been disappointed with the way his seasons have gone the last couple seasons, but he is a vocal guy. He's an intelligent guy. Landon was banged up last year, but we know from the time he was in high school, he's very well-spoken. You've had him on the pod talking about different things. And then Nick Dawkins is just a different cat altogether. And if he gets his opportunity, uh, it'll be fun to see. But even so, he could still be one of those glue guys in the locker room. So I think that's some of the places where where that leadership could come. And just Kalen King, boy, the way that guy has opened up. I mean, mm-hmm. just dealing with him. I only got there for the end of his press conference. But just you could ask him any sort of question, you know, and he's got a great answer and uh, I just thought it was really, you know, I thought that was that was pretty cool. And I actually like the, the other guy that I like talking to this week was Jalen Reed. I mean, he, uh, you know, I, I, he's a little bit out there that I think they're probably a little nervous that he speaks his mind too much. He's telling us about it. We injuries. need more Jalen Reed. We need more Jalen Reed. But it's just, it's fun at this time of year to to have some of these interactions with these guys. And that's why we try to get, we have at least one of us on every single call uh, if not two of us, if not three of us in some instances, uh, just to be there. And then to have the availability after practice, uh, I, that's worked out great. I mean, to have the, yeah. and for people who haven't been following along, this is the first time uh, that I can recall that after every spring practice, they not only have Franklin, but they have an assistant coach and they have multiple players. Yep. And it's been really cool in breakout situations because it's more of a scrum. It's not as structured and, and guys might be a little bit more, uh, you know, willing to to talk than if you're on a Zoom or if it's like a formal thing somewhere. So it's been it's been cool to get to know some of these guys that maybe we haven't talked that much to in the past. 
And hopefully our, our listeners out there have been engaged at Lions247.com. I think we filled about eight pages uh, on a message board thread this week, dropping all of our notes, uh, context, quotes from these conversations. I believe this week it was seven or eight available players. Three coaches in total were available. Uh, we were involved in all of those conversations, and, and we have all of that content up at Lions247 for our VIP subscribers. Only so much we can get to here on a podcast before we just continue to ramble and ramble and ramble. So let's – put a pin in it for now next week we'll get ready for the blue white matchup on saturday It'd be great to be back in beaver stadium the weather has taken a turn for the better here in happy valley finally so things moving in the right direction uh plenty of basketball personnel conversations still happening over at the message board tyler calvaruso has been doing a great job spotlighting some of the transfer portal targets that have emerged for the nittany lions a lot cooking on the football recruiting uh, realm as well. More visitors due on campus for spring practice. More official visits being lined up for June. Tyler Calvaruzzo, Brian Doan, uh, Steve Voltfong, Alan True, and our amazing recruiting team will be all over that on a day-by-day basis per usual. Thanks again to Ryan Burns for joining us to talk about the pickup of Trey Potts at running back for Penn State and my colleagues here at Lions 24-7, Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan. Guys, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler. All right, that has been our edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast here on a Thursday morning. We'll be back with a couple more episodes next week. In the meantime, I encourage you to check out all of our coverage at lines247.com. And if you missed it on Tuesday, check out our thorough in-depth conversation with Brandon Short, who went into a lot on Penn State's NIL realities and opportunities and challenges they face in a very competitive athletic landscape that seems to be changing very rapidly For now, stepping aside, I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast.